ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back for another express post from the Women's World Cup. If you're looking for Tilly's takes, that was yesterday's episode. Go listen to that. It's a new day. We've got new games to talk about. We are moving forward. And we're very excited because, oh boy, do we have some very fun goals to talk about in particular with this episode. So we can't wait to crack in. But before we do, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Yuggera people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lodanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and Anna Harrington. So... Girly Pops, we knew, we do need to just mention Australia. Like I said, this is not a Tilly's pod. This is not a Tilly's heavy pod. Um, but we do have some things to talk about. So, Harrow, what is the latest that we can tell the people about Australia's World Cup? Um, well, there wasn't anything new out of camp yesterday um, because it was a recovery rest day. But the big news is today, which is Saturday, Sam Kerr is going to face the media. Sam Kerr is doing a press conference. Uh, Ellie Carpenter is also doing media. But this is it's seemingly the last card you can play before this Canada game is um, rolling out Sam Kerr. And I'm going to be really interested to see. Like, it, it feels like there's realistically three different ways this can go. Um, I know the, the cynics amongst you, Marissa, off pod, uh, was could she just say nothing? Um, but I think it's going to go one of three ways. One is Sam Kerr rules herself out for the rest of the tournament, just says, I'm Dunskies. Um, The second is Sam Kerr says, I can't play against Canada, but come on, yeah, the girls get through and I can play around a 16. It's also an option. And the third is Sam Kerr puts her hand up to play against Canada and says, I can do something in that game. They're, realistically, to me, that feels like the three options. Um, I mean, she could try and say oh yeah you know we see how it goes but I don't think she's that sort of person I think I also think um this is a a display of leadership from Sam Kerr um I talked yesterday about how um Canada have gone to ground um in terms of their media stuff I I quite I really like that they're putting Kerr up I like that clear I've the vibe I get and I saw Emily Gilnick say as much um keep ups pod uh last night I feel like this is a leadership thing where she's saying my teammates are clearly going to get – whoever goes up for media is clearly going to get asked about me. I'll do the media. I'll take the hit. People can ask me and then my teammates can focus on the game. Angela, you're good there. <laughs> I just saw that there's a really interesting event happening in Melbourne about with the World Cup and sports journalism, but we'll talk about that later. Sorry. Okay, uh, no, you were just zooming, you were zooming right in. Um, yeah. No, so so Sam Kerr is clearly going to get asked about whether she can play uh, not just this game, but again this tournament if the Matildas progress. Huge if she's able to do something even off the bench against Canada. I think just the lift that gives everyone, even if it's minimum involvement, is huge. Um, but I think the main purpose of this will be to take the heat off her teammates and stop them all just getting asked about her because, like, as much as, you know, as much as, say, FA might try to avoid people asking about Kerr, you can't control a press conference. People will ask about Sam Kerr. That is just how it works. So kudos to Sam, and we'll see how that plays out. Hopefully good news when we speak to you next. The way um, we-, we should get news on Mary Fowler before this as well. Mary Fowler and Ivy Lewick with their concussions. Hopefully we hear about them today too. But um, today will cl- very clearly be very Sam Kerr dominated. Yeah. And I think also just, you know, obviously because she did miss the first two games, there was always going to be the extra interest in where she was at at this point in the World Cup group stage, but the results have only amplified that. So 
we hope to be able to like talk about good news tomorrow on the pod regarding Sam Kerr's calf watch update. Um, nailed it that time. Very happy. But let's actually move into the games we had yesterday because, like I said, there were some absolutely gorgeous goals around the ground. So we'll start with the first game of the day, which was Argentina 2, South Africa 2. South Africa looked good. They got out to a 2-0 lead. When I say that they just scored the same goal multiple times, I it it, it made me laugh. Like I was re-watching the highlights before we recorded today and I was like, I've seen this goal already. And then they had another identical goal also ruled out for um offside but it was just it was copy and pasted the same goal every time but obviously they could not hold on to that lead and Argentina came back to share the points there was an absolutely gorgeous goal in this game so we will talk about the game but my first question to both of you is did we just see like the goal of the tournament because Sophia Braun's strike was magnificent so was it goal of the tournament (laughs) Jesus, it's really tough. Um, it might just be, though. Katie McCabe's Olympicos, pretty special, the way she bent that one. But as far as bangers go, this is um, this is that one. Um, Teresa's goal for Spain was pretty fantastic as well. Um, and we'll get on to it, but Lauren James's goal last night for England. It didn't quite have the full top corner effect, I guess, the James one. This one was sort of the swerve, the dip, the just unstoppable nature of it. I think it's got to be – and the, the context – like to salvage a point as well is so um so important. It's got to be up there, right? Well, yeah, I suppose. So my goal of the tournament so far has been that Brazil one, but that was not a banger. That was just that was a bamboozler, you know. Um, so yeah, this one definitely up there. I do think it's an important clarification, right? Like the goal of the tournament in terms of like the team one from Brazil and Japan had one that was like scintillating as well. Um, that is one way of looking at, but then you've got the pure individual banger factor as well. Um, yeah. It's maybe two, the two different categories. It does feel like we need the separate categories to be honest, but let's actually talk about this game. How disappointed would South Africa be? Cause they were very close to getting a win and getting a really comprehensive win as well. And it all just kind of flew away off the boot of Braun. Um, So yeah, how disappointed do you reckon they are that they just let that lead slip away? And the reverse side of that is obviously how stoked are Argentina that they were able to get back in and get a point. I guess you'd, you'd have to assume that that South Africa would be pretty frustrated with themselves, but especially in the context that, like, they haven't won a game at a World Cup. So this would have been such an important, I guess, historical moment. Um, And same for Argentina, they haven't uh, won a game either. So I guess the universe was like, okay, so neither of you are going to (laughs) get your first win in a World Cup today. It's not for anyone. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I think... I'm not too sure what the standings are looking like at the moment, but can they still possibly get through if they win the next one? I suppose that's the other side of it as well in permutations, which everyone's favourite time well, of the depends. tournament, right? 
Yeah, I think it's still open because we know that Sweden and Italy play today. Um, the winner of that game, if someone, if someone, sorry, if someone wins that game, then they've qualified. So I think the group is still technically open, but it's, yeah, it's difficult. They've, both of them have made themselves difficult for themselves by drawing this one, um, especially after losing their respective first games. I feel like both teams, as you say, would be frustrated. I think Argentina would be filthy that they got themselves in that position to begin with, like sort of getting played off the park in a really crunch game and probably the game that where they they knew, and as South Africa did, of course, after that um, that game against Sweden, they had to they had to win, really. But no, it's still very much open. Like it, it, this feels like one of those groups where someone can still progress on um on what four points, four points, yeah. So it's it, both these teams are now up against it. I guess is how I would put it. I think it's it's a difficult one because you don't really have one just one minnow per se, where everyone's beating up on. Um, yeah, so it's not over for them yet, but it doesn't really necessarily help either of them getting a draw. But yeah, South Africa must be in a real world of hurt at the moment because they've been in winnable positions for two games so far and they've come away with one point. Um, like they probably feel that like they were value to at least get a point against Sweden. Um, and yeah, they've got one point from those two games. So yeah, it's tough. World Cup football is brutal. I'd be interested to know, like, those in and around the South African team who follow them more closely, if they're having, um, and of course I can probably, you know, look this stuff up, but the the substitutions that are happening in the second half, if that's having an impact, or the like, again, kind of coming from our position as Tilly's fans, we can point to some of the decisions. I know, we're not talking about it. We don't need to go to yesterday's pod if you want the real in-depth, sad, deep dive on that, but... Yeah, for South Africa to, yeah, like you said, Harrow, to kind of lose, to come out of the gates and start so well in two games and then to let it slip. It's like, what's going on there? Is Can this be diagnosed? Yeah. And that was that on that. I did want to mention just quickly, obviously, Sophia Braun's goal, very, very good. Uh, Romina Nunez scored the equaliser and it came off a Yamila Rodriguez cross. And Rodriguez has been in the news recently um, for a very interesting reason. So the poor thing has been enduring social media abuse from her own fans because she has a Cristiano Ronaldo tattoo and that has been interpreted as being anti-Lionel Messi and therefore anti-Argentinian. And I just think it's the most ridiculous story. Um, Obviously, it's not funny because she's literally copying abuse for a dumb tattoo. Um, But I'm hoping that the Argentinian public have maybe forgiven her because she has now put in the assist to get her country a point at a World Cup after it looked like they were going to lose. But, um, yeah, if you haven't looked into it, it without the social media abuse, it's a very funny story because it's like woman gets hate for having a dumb tattoo. She also has SpongeBob SquarePants tattooed on her. So obviously, like, she's putting anyone and everyone on her body. <laughs> but, yeah, also- I just... Mm. Just justice for the girlies with silly tattoos, you know what I mean? Like, it's our time to shine. There's been such 
weird gendered norms around tattoos and we have to suffer and see what professional men's footballers put on their bodies. So just like a bit of calm down, everyone, all right? Just, I don't know, yeah. What? Carry on, Marissa. I just had to interject there and, and take a petty stab at... No, you're right because I was just thinking about tats, every every single dumb tattoo we've seen on a man. So you're right and you should say it. And you know what? This is the year where Marketa Vondrasova won... Wimbledon with so many stickers. So who's to say it's not the year? If you, if you look at her tats, they are like proper stickers. Um, who's to say this isn't the year for players from, you know, Spain or the Tillies or wherever to shine with many, many tats? And we do have some stickbook like- girlies on <laughs> on the Tillies. But, um... Didn't Alana Kennedy? Oh, no, it wasn't stickers. They were temporary tattoos of her tattoos. Was that so what you happened? Could, yeah. Stickers of her stickers. Stickers yes, of her stickers. I love that. I, that's such a good expression. <laughs> anyway, we love, to, we love a dumb tattoo on this podcast first and foremost, and we love that hopefully the Argentinian public has forgiven Yamila Rodriguez. <laughs> so we move on, we ride. Um, we shall move on to the second game of the evening, which was the big one. A lot of people had kind of penciled this one in as being a potentially sensational clash. It was England one, Denmark nil. Uh, so basically there were two kind of things that we needed to talk about out of this game, and it was that Serena Weigman made changes to her starting eleven, and they worked. Uh, the other bad thing was Kira Walsh looks to have done her ACL. So... You may choose which path we go down first in terms of what to talk about with this game. But, yeah, it was either the uh, the substitutions, which led to the goal, which was sublime, but we also have a potentially really bad injury that England will now need to deal with if they have any hope of going as deep into this tournament as everyone kind of predicted them to. Uh, fun stuff first. Um, I love that... Um... Serena has made the call and brought Lauren James into that team. I know the other talking point was <clears throat> why doesn't Rachel Daly start at nine instead of Alessia or so, but, you know, you take what you can get, I think. And I think adding Lauren James in, she was so good off the bench the other day and she just provided that spark from the outside. I hope uh, Tony and co were watching this game and look at what you can do when you uh, twist rather than stick, right? Like, and that's, I think that's going to be the big decision ahead of this Matilda's Canada game. Anyway, I digress. Lauren, Lauren James had a huge impact from just the opening whistle. She sort of bamboozled Denmark's defenders. She was creating. Um, we know how good she is on the ball, her movement, her combinations. And, I mean, the reason England win this game is she backs herself and takes it on and rips this absolutely fantastic strike. And it's not too much. Um, I think it's Christensen, the, the Denmark goalkeeper, could do about it. Um and England for the first sort of half hour were really like balling out here. Like this is some of the best football I'd seen them play in ages. Like they were controlling the pace, the tempo, possession, doing some really cool stuff on the ball. Um, yeah, it didn't have the clinical edge, I guess, to finish some of those chances. Um, and that's what did fade during the game. Um, Denmark did sort of work their way into it. And to be honest, probably should have found an equaliser. They had a couple of really good chances that I think they butchered. Um, but it's also understandable the England dropped off when you have an injury like the Kira Walsh one. It can be so deflating um, and just, you know, sucks a bit of the life out of you. So I'm not really going to read too much into that because um, into England sort of dropping off because I think it's a pretty clear uh, point in time that you can see where they lost a little bit of that spark and 
and energy. I think anytime you see a teammate um, stretch it off, that's going to do that. Um, but uh, Angela, do you have any thoughts on the game? I, I think Lauren James is such a winner as a starter and I think they have to stick with it. Um, I also like seeing Beth England come on. Um, I think she always looks dangerous when they actually play her as a striker and I think she might be their option to start as a striker. I know a lot of people talk about daily, but I like England as a really sort of – I think in terms of their system, England probably works as a more traditional striker and then you can have Rousseau or whoever do the job. I think Daly actually gave him a bit of extra spark up that left side as well as a as a left back. She did that really well in the Euros. So, Angela, you watched this team super closely last year. What did you make of the, the changes? Yeah, it was interesting. The Kira Walsh injury just – made me reflect on the fact that you know every, their Euros campaign was like unblemished they were so so lucky to be able to do what they did and Serena Bargman was able to do what she likes to do which is like start the same 11 every game but it just feels like like they've got bad like bad karma karma not karma that's not the one just bad luck that's what I'm thinking of in terms of the injuries, like the injuries in the lead up to this tournament and now the Kira Walsh one, it's really all kind of happening at once. And yeah, it's just the imbalance between those two things is, I don't know, striking. But um, yeah, Kira Walsh, I she's such a fantastic player, one of my faves and just devastating to see that happen, happen to anyone. But I think she is kind of the heartbeat of this team. So how that impacts them moving forward will be interesting. I don't that this tournament they haven't looked as I guess maybe lethal is not the word, but they just haven't been yeah, as intimidating, I suppose, as they were at the Euros. And I am not too sure why that is, but I think, yeah, credit to Serena Wagner, like you said, Harry, for being able to actually adjust and uh, you know, put pride to the side in terms of what she likes to do. And, and it had a huge impact. That Lauren James goal is just beautiful. And it was so funny, her presser after the game as well. She just seems so unfazed and so relaxed, which is good. Um, in terms of, I feel like something to add that we have not discussed, Rika Madsen, made in the dub, no? Made in the dub. And she had, I think a pretty decent game. She was um, in and around Denmark's attacking angle. But, you know, it's just incredible to think that she was out playing, what, in Casey Fields? Did she end up playing in Casey Fields? Am I right in thinking that? Anyway, regardless, made in the dub. Victory's very own Rick and Madsen at a World Cup. So good for her. Um, and Denmark, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, again, they're, they're kind of showing the same thing that they did at the Euros. They're not bad. They're just not somehow not able to convert the chances when they get them. And um, I do wonder if they don't, I don't think they necessarily have the same issue in that Penil Hart is isolated and um, what am I saying? How Peniel Harder works in this Denmark side, I think, has to be quite different to how she works in a club side. And I'm not too sure if they've even figured that out just yet in how to utilise her because she does game a little bit, but I think she is quite agitated in that she's not able to get these, like, really clear opportunities on goal. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. But um, I, it would be strange if they don't get through. I don't know. I feel like they're not, they're not rubbish. 
they're not rubbish but it's just yeah England were better sorry that was garbled as per usual but it's not um I think Denmark suffer from uh, the condition that a lot of teams in the group stage suffer from where they've got one really obvious sensational player and that's about it (laughs) and it literally comes down to whether or not there is enough support can be mustered from those around that player to push them forward and like you know, you think of, you know, watching Ireland and Katie McCabe literally putting 10 players on her back and saying, I'm going to try and find an equaliser here. It's the same kind of vibe. Um, you know, Haiti, which we will talk about in just a second with De Mornay, like that seems to be the vibe as well. It really just comes down to how much support can these players muster because they simply can't do it on their own. Their own. That's not how football works. But um. Yeah, I feel like I, I just want to talk about the Lauren James goal again, just really quickly, because it was so stunning to watch. And we were watching this at the pub and friend of the pod, Rose, new friend of the pod, Rose, was literally like in the lead up to this game. I'm so excited to watch Lauren James. She's so good. She was hyping her up so much. And then immediately so Lauren Love James it. delivered. And I was like, Rose, you're on to something. Yeah, you. like <laughs> this is very, very good. But yeah, it was just, it was fun to watch. And um, the... The good thing for England, and this was pointed out uh, by a lot of the English journos and English fans, their first uh, goal from open play in 343 minutes. So that's like going back to the April window, that match against Brazil. So they need, like, they just weren't scoring from open play. So it's good to see that, you know, you inject Lauren James and she immediately repays that faith and does something really good. So we will definitely be re-watching Sophia Braun's goal. We will definitely be re-watching Lauren James's goal for the next couple of days because they spark joy and we love to see um, these these goals because they, they're so good. Um, but shall we move on to the final game? Oh, we should briefly, just briefly, can England win it without Kira Walsh? Is a great question. question. <laughs> I think it's going to be real hard, real hard. <laughs> I, I don't want to say it'll be the straw that breaks Camel's back, but she's so good and like controls the tempo, um, like everything good sort of runs through her, um, and you hope mentally it's not the the big crushing blow for them. Just because you've had Leah Williamson go down, you've had Beth Mee go down, like you've had these these injuries. You hope this isn't the one that tilts it the other way. I know they've still got some real quality, but it's it's pretty deflating in tournament to lose someone like that as well. And we shouldn't really underestimate the impact that had on Haiti as well, losing a player in that first game to an ACL. And Can they win I, it? Sorry. She – I just don't I, – I, I'm – and a follower of the England squad might be able to um, correct me here, but I just don't think they have a player who even plays in a similar style to Kira Walsh, but maybe, of course, like not at the same level because she's just out of this world at what and incredible at what she does. But kind of looking to their bench, it's very, yeah, there's a lot of attacking power, but the kind of defensive work that Akira Walsh does and, yeah, again, the precision that she is able to kind of utilise and um, use to impact on games is just like, again, another level. And so, yeah, having that kind of midfielder, I just 
don't know if there is someone who can do that job in this kind of system as well. So um, I don't think they can win it without Kira Walsh, to be honest. Mm. Um, but I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to win it anyway. But maybe some, maybe they'll hear this and they'll be galvanised and they'll be like, <laughs> fuck that girl, Angela. We're going to prove her wrong. But they should do it for Kira. They mm. should absolutely do it for Kira, guys. Uh, I I know you just said that you're not sure if this would be the straw that breaks the camel's back. I'm, I will call it the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And what I saw from, like, English soccer Twitter last night was just the vibe that, even though you would love a Beth Mead out there, you do have other strikers. And even though you would have loved a Leah Williamson out there, there are other centre-backs or defenders that can play centre-back. But Kira Walsh, they like the way they were describing her, that's the player you can't replace. And I feel like it was a very similar vibe to when Ellie first went down and you're like, we don't have another right back. And the, the good thing for Australia was that we had a whole year to find another right back and we found a great one in Charlie Grant. Excuse me. We found a great one in Charlie Graham, but you know, that took a whole year basically to find her, make sure that she was getting enough time to get those minutes up, get the feel of play, whatever. England don't have time to find another Kira Walsh, embed her into the system. And I don't know if any of the players that they have available can do what Kira does to the level Kira does. So I'm. You got to have to adjust, really. Like, is it Coombs mm. they brought on? For Walsh, they also have Katie Zellum, who's been very good for Manchester United. Um, but they, as a, I guess, a more maybe creative player. I don't know. They, um, yeah, it's the one player I think that yet that you couldn't really afford to lose. And it's so pivotal like- to what they do. Look at how the Matildas went for years whenever Elise Kellen Knight was injured in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, yeah, that midfielder that controls everything and that everything runs through. They've got, they're lucky in that they've got so much talent. It's not like Denmark where it's like if something happened to Penelope and God forbid, um, they'd be in serious strife. There's still a lot of quality there. But, yeah, I had doubts of their, over their ability to win it before and, you know, they only get amplified by this. It's unfortunate. We obviously hope that in an ideal world she hasn't done her knee, so we're manifesting that timeline. But we'll obviously find out in the next little while whether or what the extent of that injury is. We do wish her well, obviously, because the, the women's game as a whole simply cannot take another ACL. We we can't do it anymore, guys. We're tired. Like, pull your head in, ACL. It's it's uh, We've had about enough here. Um, but let's move on to – no, we're not going to move on. Sorry, this is a great time for me to mention it. Yesterday I went to the Griffith Uni, the, where I was recording in the stairwell, um, the stairwell from space, it seems, um, and uh, listened to a fantastic talk about, um, yeah, injuries in black women's players and the gendered factors that go into that. And I'll just bring up, make sure. Nicole Sudurka, so she has been like a pro, like a, yeah, pro sports physio. And um, I know that we, like a lot of people who follow women's football will be across these conversations already. Um, But just the way that she broke it down and looked at, like kind of outlined where the research is at the moment and um, the different things that feed into like injury risk and what the lens, it was just so, so good. Um, Hopefully she will want to come on the podcast and talk to us about it because 
super super interesting but at the same time it's like this is so interesting but it's also so infuriating when we look at things like um like poorly informed practice around strength and conditioning and like gendered assumptions about women's bodies not being able to do the same things when there's lots of evidence to suggest otherwise and yeah the so an eternal conversation but I and I also just I'm putting this out into the universe I want like I want someone to write a book about this that kind of debunks or like does a deep dive into ACL research and kind of outlines where we're at and uh kind of like what Cordelia Fine did around the gendered um research on neuroscience which was her book is like about how people like women's brains are just built different and here's the research but the research itself is like bad fantastic book if you haven't um looked into it but I want that for ACLs uh because I think, yeah, again, we're in and amongst these conversations, but that's because we are, you know, swimming in the source of women's football. <laughs> Not everyone else is, and I think it's a, it's it just has such a wide impact from grassroots all the way up to the top, as we can see. So anyway, sorry, that was a little interjection, but um, a, a, Nicole's presentation, thumbs up, ACLs and doing what they do and the world around them informing that thumbs down two thumbs down in my humble opinion um but good interjection um we shall move on though to the final game of the evening which was china one haiti nil um this ended up being kind of wildly chaotic we had a red card we had penalties given we had penalties not given there was an absolute buttload of injury time at the end of the match but all in all, China have come away with what is a, a surprising three points, especially considering how early on they were reduced to 10. So anyone have any takes on what was probably the most chaotic chaotic rather match of the day? I mean, it's not one – It's not if, if you hate VAR, you're really going to hate this one. <laughs> um, it felt like both teams – would deny like there was when we were watching this marissa and i china got one penalty and they put that away that was their goal there's another one where there was a a challenge shortly after where it looked like china play got like properly like pushed over almost in the back of the head like shoved over and that was no penalty and then obviously in injury time hey to get a penalty and then it gets overturned right so it's all bad all of that <laughs> i really feel for haiti like they should have got something out of this game they were creating understandably against 10 all the chances didn't take them and then it it, is how cruel sport can be sometimes and we know this well following the Matildas right you um don't take your chances in these sorts of position it can come back to bite you and I mean I think China does have a lot of credit the way um Wang Shuang in particular was attacking this game they had a couple of other players that were really um going for it like with 10 players like going for it creating attacking trying to you know sort of skip past defenders and that that is how they won their first penalty as well it's how they could have easily won a second one um yeah to not it was interesting they felt like they didn't just sit back obviously the usual temptation when you go down to 10 is to just completely park the bus right and try and get one hit on the counter and I think they they did defending blocks to an extent, but not fully. Um, they took it on a little bit. Um, and I think both of these teams knew you, you had to win to keep your hopes alive, right? Like Denmark had already got three points out of it um, and they play Haiti last. And England have, have already got six points. So it's like 
they had to go for it. Um, it was chaotic though, chaotic end to this one in particular. Um, I, yeah, less said about the VAR stuff, the better. But yeah, you feel for Haiti. You feel like they deserve more than zero points out of two games. But yeah, we we were like, oh, we'll just like leave the pub just before the end of the game because how much can happen? Uh, everything apparently. <laughs> Um, but yeah, even up until that point, it had been a pretty chaotic matchup for them. I think, yeah, again, I feel like it's similar sort of, I suppose, position as, uh, South Africa for, for Haiti. And that's like, they should have, they should have come away with something here and they'll be pretty devastated that they haven't. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've really been enjoying China though. I think the way that they've been playing is like to be commended the just the very kind of measured and um passing style they're not playing too direct and yeah they're creating and and the fact that they were able to still continue to do that with one less person on the field is um really good um and I'm super super excited for England China because it means that that matchup is going to be even more spicy so yeah but I don't know. It, it, I think it's just, it's really nice to be having these conversations about groups and being like, well, there's no minnow. Like, there's this World Cup has been so competitive, so that's a, a blessing. Um, and really appreciating, trying to like sit with that and appreciate it as we move through the group stage, um, because that's I think where it's going to be the most apparent that things are really changing and the game is becoming so much more competitive at this level. It's such a good point because I know that there were some real, I think, valid concerns heading into the group stage with the expansion of the tournament to 32 teams that there would just be some absolute drubbings. But barring the kind of um, Germany-Morocco result and a couple of the results in Group C with Spain and Japan kind of dunking on Zambia and um, Costa Rica, um, I there's not been anything that you know means we're having to do a whole pod talking about the kind of validity of dunkings in women's football a la 2019 after the US um just absolutely annihilated Thailand so that's been really pleasant also just um speaking of appreciating the group stage I think we need to remind everyone that the group stage is almost over so number one get your tips in if you're in the ESPN Far Post footy tipping competition, the World Cup tipping competition. Make sure you get your tips in for the final group three or day three rather uh, group stage matches. Um, but yeah, also the the um, our days of three, four games a day are numbered. So make sure you soak it in. Watch as many as you can. Bunk off work. It doesn't matter. Just watch watch the World Cup while it's still on at like... 4pm and 6pm and 9pm and all of the other good kickoff times. But um, do we have any final bits and bobs for today? Yes, the funniest bit being that we talked about this with a friend of the pod, Phil Rollo, that Spain were based in Palmerston North for the group stages. And we've seen today reports uh, that they're actually moving a couple of days earlier than they need to to Wellington because they're so bored. <laughs> they have nothing to do in Palmerston North. Um we know a lot of these players. They live in places like Madrid and Barcelona. And shock horror, the sights and sound of Palmerston North just are not cutting it. So, yeah, very funny to me. And also, like, 
not unpredictable, right? And your players have to be happy. They've got to be having a good time. Um, they've got to be comfortable. I imagine for them seeing like some of their club teammates, like in, you know, Melbourne and Sydney, or even just in like Wellington or Auckland or whatever, being able to, you know, do normal things like have coffee, go for a late night meal. I saw a couple of Kiwis say, yeah, I don't think there'd be too many places open in Palmy um, at the usual Spanish dinner time. So, yeah, good for them. Very funny to me. Um, we'll see how they go. Sorry, Palmerston North. But we saw this coming. The other, like, this is less funny, more nerdy. Um, Google have came out a few days ago and they um, did a blog post about how they're changing their search algorithm to make things easier for women's sports fans to find the content um, that they're after. Um, Marissa, you might be able to talk a little bit more to this because I know you, you had a chat with Bex around her campaign. Was it change the internet? Correct Fix the, the internet. internet. Correct the internet, um, which is all of, because, you know, as, as we all will have experienced, sometimes you look something up in a search engine and it spits out men's sport, even though that's not what you wanted at all in the slightest. Like, so um, really interesting stuff around that. Um, I won't go into the details, but there's a whole, there's a whole blog post with all the, the information around it. But yeah, Marissa, did you want to add anything there around nothing majorly other than I can see the change like I'm googling world cup and it's spitting up the women's world cup fixtures so we know that that's what happens with the algorithm during major tournaments like there's been um consistent sort of evidence of that we saw it at the women's rugby world cup at the end of last year where if you googled rugby world cup it was the women's results that were coming up so if search engines are actually doing more to kind of maintain that outside of major tournaments where the algorithm obviously gets a boost that's awesome so i reckon that'll be one to kind of keep an eye on and see what exactly it is they're doing and how they're they're combating the inherent bias of the old algorithm but um yeah also just I wanted to go quickly back to Palmerston North I'm like Spain what do you mean you're not entertained by the ring of dirt you think you're too good for the ring of dirt Spain unacceptable anyway but um I think that's us done for today lots of fun matches to come in tomorrow's episode we'll be covering Sweden Italy France Brazil or Frabra as we've been calling it and Panama Jamaica which we've also been calling Pan Jam. Um, Group F simply has the best three-letter uh, match hashtag combinations, but that's beside the point. Thank you for tuning in. As always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple and Google, all of the usual pod spots. Make sure you subscribe so you get all of these episodes directly into your feed. If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, so it is. Okay.